It seems that with each new generation brings new challenges and opportunities for farmers to connect with their customers. The up-and-coming Gen Z is no different. They approach food, communication, and farming with a unique set of values. Hi, I'm Steve Ammerman, Director of Communications for New York Farm Bureau, and welcome to our News Bites podcast. Today, we're taking a deep dive into the next generation of consumers. Gen Z are young people born from the mid-1990s to the mid-2010s. Many of them are still living at home, but may help drive their parents' purchasing decisions, but soon will be a force all their own. And it's a good idea to understand what they want. The Center for Food Integrity is a coalition of more than 150 members and project partners that represent the diversity of today's food system. From farmers, ranchers, and food companies, to universities, ag organizations like American Farm Bureau, restaurants, retailers, and food processors. Their goal is to find ways to build trust with consumers. And a big part of that is using research to guide the effort. CFI released a report earlier this year on Generation Z and found the group is poised to change the face of food. We sat down with Roxy Beck, the Consumer Engagement Director for the Center for Food Integrity and President of Look East for this edition of News Bites. And we kick things off with getting a better understanding of CFI and its mission. The Center for Food Integrity is an organization that's quite young compared to an organization like Farm Bureau, who's been around forever in a day, right? But we're just more than a decade young. And so in terms of food system or even agriculture organizations, we've not been at this for as long. But in our entirety, we were founded in 2007, and our whole focus has really been on earning consumer trust and confidence in the system we call food. Now, for those of us that maybe lean towards the agriculture side of the food system more so than the food side of food system, what we have to understand and appreciate is the broader consumer and even those decision makers who have have careers in the food chain or the supply chain, what they will really understand far more is food. And so those of us in agriculture have to get comfortable, you know, with understanding we're part of this industry. Our mission of really earning trust is in this full system. We understand and want to have a food system that is diverse, that offers a lot of choice to consumers. We really err on the side of science and where the preponderance of evidence sits. So we are very science-based. We look to the people who dedicated their life to the study of things like technologies and innovations and food science and veterinarians and you know anybody that's working in production agriculture because you're living it and you've studied and you're focusing on it and all the ways that we can improve. Um, and as we get into our discussion, that really is well-suited for the needs of consumers and especially the youngest consumers who are both coming into their own buying power and their own decision-making because they really want innovation. They want technology and have seen how technology can positively improve their lives and the planet. Everything that we do, including the research that we'll chat about today, really serves to inform those involved in the food system of how we can better connect and how we can be both acting in a way that's trustworthy and share our stories in a way that we can get the attention of consumers and help them understand, hey, maybe the things that you want from the system are more in alignment than maybe we've been able to communicate in the past. That's really important because having that understanding and having that research really does inform decision-making and, and helps inform a plan. And that's something our farmers, I think, are really interested in, especially those who are forward-thinking of, of how can we reach out to folks in, a, in an effective way. You don't want to just be throwing things at the wall. So you decided to, to do a report on Gen Z 
You know, I think a lot of people in the older generation are very mystified by Gen Z. They don't really even know what Gen Z is a lot of times. So let's start there. What was it about Gen Z that you wanted to look into and, and who is Gen Z? Yeah. So this whole program, this focus on Gen Z actually came at the urging of our board. We had two of our board members, one on that agriculture side, a CEO at the National Pork Board and a key food safety leader at Costco. And they both said, hey, we know that there's opportunity with Gen Z. We've got to get it right. But Gen Z farmers don't understand nor appreciate the perspective of consumers as they're making decisions on their farm. That was one side. The other side said, hey, Gen Z farmers don't, or excuse me, consumers don't understand and appreciate the perspective, the curiosities, the skepticism of what's going on on the other end. So the idea was, they said, you know, help us understand how we could engage both, whether we can bring these two parties together, Gen Z farmers and Gen Z consumers, to both increase engagement and understanding, to bring some enlightenment, and maybe even our theory was that we could we could showcase that the value system of this generation is really quite strong and similar, independent of what titles they have, farmer, consumer, you know, reader, eater, anything. Mm -hmm. They all are kind of thinking about this world and the role of food and beverages in having an impact in the same way. So we built out actually a couple, couple different things. We absolutely did some, some research and we went online as most people do these days to really understand what are the conversations that Gen Z is thinking about related to food, agriculture, farming, as well as the way that they choose their, their food options, excuse me. Um, and then also, could we develop an experience to pressure test what we think that research is telling us? And so it was kind of twofold. We wanted to do the, the, the you know, bench science, the research, right, that we can do in terms of consumer jumping in and engaging and really understanding the different topical areas that they're thinking about when they think about food. And then really understand, put them feet on the street, feet on the field, if you will, and give them an experience. And that's what we, we did that last fall, actually, in Texas. We chose a topic we knew people would have perceptions about curiosity, skepticism, concern. So we chose beef production. We put people feet on the ground, three farmers, three consumers, and then a little, little panel of experts, if you will, gave them a backstage, a backstage path to what's going on in beef production in Texas. So we took them to the feedlot. We took them to food processing and the meat counter, and then took them all the way to that consumer end where they were actually engaging with food. Because we had farmers and we had consumers, they started to really learn, not only develop relationships with each other, but start to learn from each other. In tow with us, we had Dean Peeler, who's the owner of the ranch that we went to, as well as head of meat processing pack. And, you know, they have a deli where they, you know, provide that meat directly from their ranch. But we also had a veterinarian and a dietitian and chef along the way so that they could ask all the questions that they had about the way food, in this case, beef is produced, the way animals are treated, the way that they're raised, and all the way through the end product. What does this mean? Are there antibiotics in this? Has this been treated with the vaccine? How do we need to be concerned about that? So along with being able to have the, the direct research insights and understanding these are the different things, then we were able to pressure test that. The coming together of all of that is this engaging Gen Z guide that really is designed to help people think about this generation in three different ways. And those of us specifically in the food system. The first one is how do we engage the Gen Z consumer? Because we know we all need to be united and understanding they're a little bit different. 
they have some different needs and desires and goals to engage the Gen Z farmer. Now, this is designed for organizations who really are saying, we need to engage this next upcoming generation. They're not going to want to engage with us as organizations in the same way that their parents or grandparents did. So how do we give them a voice? How do we give them a role? And how do we get out of their way? They're going to do some really great things. How do we not be a barrier to their success? The third piece is the Gen Z workforce. And because the Center for Food Integrity works across the whole food system, we have restaurants, retailers, food companies, processors, distributors who are going, wow, this workforce looks really different. How do we prepare to engage them in a different way, you know, differently from previous generations? So the guide really kind of taps into all of those, those mm -hmm. sectors based on, you know, the audience that we serve here at, at CFI. So let's dive into that. So when we're talking about Gen Z, that's a particular age group. It's from 18 to well, today, younger, younger, yeah. The, the ones that we can really tap into because they're adults and we can get access to them would be about 18 to 25, 26, 27, depending on the age range that you're looking or the, the birth range that you're looking at. The general philosophy here on this one is they were born in the mid-1990s to the mid-2010s. So right now, our Gen Zers are about 12-ish to about 25-ish. And so it's important that we understand we're not seeing, um, we're seeing them influencing their parents and their, the activities that their parents are, are involved in, but we're not seeing their direct dollars going into purchases today. But in this next 10 years, they're really gonna be coming into their own economic power where they have full discretion as to how they use you know, the, the money that they have access to. And this is the fastest growing economic power that exists in the world are that by 2030, they will have $33 trillion in economic buying power. And it's a little, it's kind of blowing our minds, right? The, additionally, in the United States, Gen Z is 20, just over 20% of our population of U.S. consumers today. Globally, it's even more so. It's a third of the global population is in this age range. And if you combine that with millennials, they're about 45% of our U.S demographic of, of consumers. So we can, you know, depending on how you are and how you feel about this incoming generation, some of us might be quite frustrated, like, oh, here we go again, a whole new set of norms and value systems to understand, et cetera. But the opposite is if we don't, if we don't invest in understanding what motivates them, what is exciting them, and maybe what even is fearful, you know, they're fearing then we lose. So our opportunity here is to really engage and think differently about how we can be in alignment with them versus maybe getting frustrated with, oh, here we go again, <laughs> another group but alert. It, but it's essential because farmers produce for their customers. And if you don't know what your customer wants or understand what they want to buy, that's going to hurt a farmer's bottom line. So it really does behoove our members and the ag community to, to be engaged here because it, it could affect the bottom line or what they produce or how they produce in the future. Most definitely, yeah. So when it comes to you know, their economic power and how they go about finding what they want to purchase, what they're interested in eating, what is it that they look for in that decision-making? And, and how, what is the decision-making process like for Gen Z? Yeah, one of the things that's really important to understand is Gen Z, because of the time frame they were born in, they were born with a phone. They do not know life without a smartphone. So their process is going to be different simply because they have some different technologies and tools to leverage. And this group 
those that are 20 years older, 20 years, excuse me, or older, 98% of them own a smartphone. So this is going to be a pathway to decision-making for them that they are very infrequently connected to. They're leveraging social media three hours a day. Half of them are. About half of them are using messaging apps three hours a day. They're spending time gaming. And so they're looking for entertainment, enlightenment, and education to come together in a way that they go, this is worthy of my time because it both informs me, but it's, it's entertaining, right? I'm getting something from it. And we're, we have to understand we're competing against all of those other things that they have literally at their fingertips. So that's a little bit about the difference in the way they're going to make decisions. They also are looking to different social media um, in the, for the way that they are not only engaging and, and where they're spending their time, but also in the way that they're leveraging those channels to get information about food. These folks, at least once a day, 75% of them are using YouTube, 59 are using either TikTok or Instagram, um, and then they kind of fall out from there. Snapchat is still relatively popular, and then Facebook and Twitter are falling out of favor. But 80% of them say, almost 80%, say they would purchase food or another product based on an influencer's recommendation through a social media channel. So they are absolutely sourcing information about food, beverages, what to think about how food was raised and who raised it through these different social channels. So it's important that, again, whether you want to be the person on that social channel engaging or whether you want to raise other people up so that they can do it, we need to be in this space. And I always encourage people, if you don't want to be on any other platform but Facebook, Awesome. At least be willing to share your story, show the pictures, talk about it in that space. But where others are willing and really want to dive into the new platforms or the platforms that are you know, most visited, empower them to do it. Because we need all of the voices in agriculture in any of the spaces where we can get comfortable and figure those out. We will benefit by being there. And that doesn't mean you have to be in every single place, but we need to make sure that we're covering those, those bases. So they like video, then that's one yeah. of the things they like to watch. They like to be immersed in something. I've seen you know, how-to videos or demonstrations they love, but also they love, or maybe I shouldn't say love, but they want transparency. They want honesty in what they're seeing as well. So what do you think that looks like when it comes to, to, to farmers and, and agriculture? Yeah, more is better. Perfection needs to be ignored. <laughs> we have to be willing to disclose that this is what we're thinking about today. These are the things we're feeling. You don't have to stage the perfect photo. You do have to be aware that there are some things that consumers can't interpret in just one shot or one you know, moving frame. So you do have to be careful about what you share because you're opening, opening yourself up to criticism. But please understand that there's so much opportunity for us to be talking about, these are all the things I thought about today. The, you know, here are my end goals, because when you think and talk that way, they're going, wow, this is a person that sounds like they're really vested in the future of what they're doing. Man, I didn't even realize they were thinking about, you know, economic forecasts and trends and the news out of, you know, wherever across the world and how that's going to impact the type of products or services that they're, you know, considering on a day to day basis. So I think giving a, a mind's eye into not just what can I show them. But what can I tell them I'm thinking about? Because when you talk about those areas where you're, you're, you know, showcasing your heart and not just here's what I know or here's, then you're, you're actually engaging with them in a way that's more meaningful and consistent with their values. 
That's relationship building, which is so much of what Farm Bureau is all about. And whether we're building a relationship with a lawmaker or an educator or whoever that it's, it's again, it goes back to relationship building and making that connection. Yeah, 100%. The other thing that's really, I think, quite mind boggling to those of us that have been in this industry and have made our decisions about food and all of those good things in the same way for a long time is that we have to understand that this generation appears to be hiring food for some different jobs than just nourishment. When they think about eating and choosing food, this is an identity statement. Um, and it's very different and more important than generations that came before. So when I am buying food, I'm thinking about environmental sustainability. I'm thinking about not only how is this going to be improving my body, you know, because it's giving me fuel. I'm thinking about how is this fueling me up in a way for longevity? Is this a smart, not only a nutritious, you know, choice, but is this a choice that can help me with brain health? And eye health, there are some, you know, foods that are marketing to say, oh, this has more of this nutrient or that. They want to balance their nutrition. They want to, they, so they're, they're willing to indulge, but they want it to be smart where they're adding in fruits and veggies to the indulgence, right? Or I'm going to opt for plant-based because that feels more healthy for me, both today and longer term. And they are interested in clean eating. They want to ditch the processed foods. They want a whole food or a simpler food. And so they're going to be looking to, to get rid of, you know, sugar and salt, you know, foods that are high or ultra processed. They're also looking for, I'm going to opt out of the unhealthy fats or this, I'm going to opt into the things that are, you know, fat is good, but it's got to be more natural. They're also choosing foods that they help that they can say, this is, this is for my mind. I'm going to have things that are going to be, you know, healthier. I'm going to be stress-free or guilt-free. And so that looks different and that kind of ties over into supplements and, you know, eating for those sorts of things. And then finally, they're eating, they're choosing food for the planet. So where, you know, industry can unite and say, this, this is the way we've changed or this segment, you know, whether it's dairy or beef or apples or whatever, where we've said we've made these production changes that ultimately make our product more sustainable. We learn every day and we're never going to be perfect, but we always are looking to do better than we did in the last growing season. Those are the ways that they, you know, are, are looking for um, proof that they're buying things that are better, foods that are better for the planet. And I think the other thing, two areas that we see in there, when they say I'm trying to eat better for the planet, they're minimizing their meat consumption and they're increasing their local produce or their local ingredients and, and products. So those are things that they attribute to being better for the planet. Now, we can have lots of conversation about how that's not always true and how there's a lot of misinformation that's come into the public domain, into conversations. But those are the things that when you say, what does eating more sustainable look like as it relates to the environment? Those are some of the habits that we're starting to see really come forward. So those are the discussions that our farmers can be having to try and connect through the value systems that a younger generation has is, is you know, talking about those things and meeting them where they are and trying to engage them on the things that they're, you know, most interested in. So I'm also curious about technology. I mean, as you said, this is a, a group of, of people who, you know, grew up with technology. A smartphone is, is in their hand almost from day one. And at the same time, technology and agriculture has had a mixed bag in the past, whether it's genetic engineering or some people were, you know, apprehensive about technology, but they're actually, this might be another way in with this generation to talk about technology and, and how it can provide sustainability and what have you. So can we, you talk about that and how they, how technology relates to their food choices? 
Yes. So again, because they are so connected, technology and innovation, and they're inheriting the problems of this earth, right, that all of us before them have created, they're going, we know technology is that fast path to solutions. The key difference in, let's say, drone technology versus something like GMOs, right, both technologies that absolutely equip and have helped agriculture do better, and some would say do more, right, but, but improve based on what was known before, what we've always done in agriculture is we've positioned those benefits in the frame of either the company that's created that technology or the farmer who receives the benefit from that um, from that technology. This, this audience, this generation is going to be very tuned into if you're creating innovations that solve a problem they're concerned about, or if they're, you're using technology to pad your pocketbook. And if the only thing you're doing is padding your pocketbook, or the only thing you're doing is increasing yield, then they're going to be concerned because here's, here's the thing. When we've talked about, you know, different technologies in food allow us to increase yield of products that they think are empty calories, maybe are subsidized, are controlled by corporations they don't like, are having a global impact that they don't know or can't understand whether that's positive, and ultimately create more food when, hey, in the U.S., we have an obesity epidemic, not a food problem, right? And really what you need to be doing is feeding the starving people in, in the world. They 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 put all of that together and go, see, and all you care about is yield. And the reality is we don't need more of your empty calorie food. And we go, oh man, that didn't go well. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. We get concerned. And the the reality is there's a hundred things in what I just that you could pick apart, right? And what I just said, and we could fight all day long with messages that sort of are the counterpoint to those points that I made by people who don't know what we know about this food system or about how food is produced. So the reality is we have to position technologies in a way that helps them understand. We know that, you know, independent of your position on climate change, independent upon what you think, you know, who caused it or who can fix it or whatever, or, or not even a who at all. The opportunity is to say, we see that there are challenges where we know we can have, we can play our part to get us out of this situation. Or we, you know, we don't know what the end game is. Right When we started, the, the technologies that we leveraged in the 1950s versus those that we leveraged in the 1980s versus those that we're leveraging today, they all look different, but that's because we've learned. So if we can say, we know, you know, more nutritious food is the thing that's most important. Guess what? We want that for our families too. We know that food safety is an incredible focus of this generation. And when they talk about food safety, they're not talking about, you know, sanitary phytosanitary standards. They're not talking about parts per billion. They're talking about, is it safe for me to eat right now? And it won't cause, you know, an ailment for me in 30 years. They're talking about overall health and safety of their body from concern from consuming this food. So when we position to them, we absolutely are focused on food safety. We're focused on longevity. We're focused on food as medicine. And here's how we do that on the farm. That's where we can start to have them go, whoa, I didn't, I guess I didn't realize that that would be a focal area for you as well. Or they can go, thank God, tell me more. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think we have that opportunity again, thinking back to they've been entertained and enlightened and inspired and educated all at the same time. We have to do that and we have to position how innovation and technology can solve for those things that they're saying they want from their food system, whether it's to improve nutrition 
or to help fix some of the challenges related to environmental sustainability or, or, or. There's lots of opportunities. We have to think about them when we're saying why it is that we're doing what we're doing. So when you brought some of the, the influencers and, and Gen Zers to the ranch in Texas and kind of, you know, we're trying to figure out, you know, how to, to talk with each other. Was there, I'm sure there were a lot of great moments, but was there one aha moment or was there one thing that stands out to you that was like, ah, oh, we get it. There, we actually had them sit down and we said, what were your aha moments? What, you know, what surprised you? And here's this, you know, we always look for the big symbol clash, right? We're like, oh, what's the big thing? The reality is it's kind of underwhelming. They said things like, I wish people, you know, knew that grass fed is equally as nutritious as grain fed. I wish people knew, and I was really impressed that USDA has all of these checks and balances in, in place. You know, I, I didn't know that these people that, you know, work on ranches cared so much about these animals. So it really seems like this is really simple. I didn't, I didn't realize, you know, cattle are eating a lot of things and they have requirements just like humans and they have doctors and nutritionists that help them out just like we do. So it's those things that I actually am like, this is so exciting because every farmer I've ever talked to, you know, talked to independent of what they're growing, you know, what sector they're in, they can talk about what they're doing on their farm day in, day out. And they can have these surprise and delight moments with consumers who just didn't didn't think about it or wouldn't have realized it if they had, that these are the types of things that are going on. In previous bodies of research, we've learned things like consumers had no idea that livestock farmers are animal lovers. And that seems so very simple. It seems like such a no-brainer, but the reality is we never thought to talk about it. And it's when they see, you know, when their exposure to animal agriculture is through the lens of the latest undercover video investigation, it's no wonder that that would be a surprise to them, that people working in this industry have to be animal lovers. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to do it day in and day out. So I think it's quite low bar. And when we can get engaged with them and say, we love technology and you wouldn't believe the amount of technologies that we, you know, we are seeing today that help us you know, track the health of animals that help us apply exactly the amount of nutrients or water on the field exactly where it's needed or, or, or. Again, our whole goal, though, has to be to, to position that in terms of something the consumer knows and wants out of their food system. And that's the place, too, where I think we have to do a bit of looking in the mirror because there could be some technologies that were developed or some processes, even as I talk to others throughout the supply chain, like food who say, you know what, if we're honest with ourselves, we've probably gone into the lab and created some things that we thought is what people wanted. And then it, as it turns out, they don't want that. So we do have to have a two-way dialogue with consumers to say, hey, we're thinking about this. Here's what this technology could do. Would you be okay with that? before we get all the way through development and then try to launch a product or a technology and then consumers are like, we never asked for that. And actually we're not okay with it because we've seen that happen. So transparency is an imperative, having a way for them to engage with us directly and then us pressure test ideas back and forth is absolutely one of the really important elements of transparency. Absolutely, because we can't sit back and say, well, they don't understand agriculture if we don't also try to understand them, whatever the them is, whatever group or, you know, whether it's 
you know, a, a, a generation, a, a, a city resident, whoever it may be, it is. It's about trying to find that common ground and just getting to know each other. I, this has really been enlightening, and I really, you know, love everything that you've been talking about and, and the, the data that you found. You know, just to wrap things up, if, if there's, you know, that first step that a, a farmer can take to, to meet a Gen Z or where they're at and, and start having these conversations and, and building these relationships, what advice would you have for a farmer? Yeah, I would say first and foremost, be you and focus on the passions that you have and think about how what you are doing day in, day out actually serves the goal that, that these consumers want. I guarantee there will be at least three or four things that are just easy pickings. Also then think about how you can share that story. It's going to look different for everybody. Some people are going to be whole hog, you know, let's get a tour. Let's give them, you know, engage with them on social media. Let's put out some videos. For others, it might be, I'm going to have a conversation with my local friend group or my local, you know, a group of people that has some community influencers to have a different conversation about what's going on in our community and how does our local farm have, you know, positive influence that way. So where you are, feel comfortable starting out those conversations. When you do, lead with who you are and what you're passionate about and then save all those facts, all those figures, all that data for later. For when you hear them say, that's interesting, tell me more about that then you can start to drop in those details. I always tell people facts and data and metrics and all that stuff that's really important to your business can really take a conversation for a loop that you didn't want it to be in. So think about facts and data and science like salt in food. Salt can be this beautiful thing to enhance flavor when it's sprinkled in. But if you dump it in, you just spoiled the whole batch. So shake it in, you know, sprinkle it in a little bit at a time. Let them taste test. Let them tell you, yeah, I need a little bit more, right? I want to know more. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about that. But don't, you know, don't lead with unscrewing the top of the salt, you know, shaker and, and dumping it all in. The last thing that I would say is just pursue these conversations and these, you know, opportunities to engage consumers with patience. Remember that the type of ahas that, that these influencers and, you know, participants in our tour had were very, very simple. So you might really be ready for the hard question about how did we move from GMOs to gene editing and how is this going to shape, you know, they're probably not going to be there. Sometimes the questions they asked are going to have the wrong words. They're not going to know the jargon. They're going to be, they're going to be sprinkled with misinformation. So, you know, have the posturing that, wow, what a privilege to be asked, that I'm the person that gets to help you see that there's a, another side to this story. So seek out those opportunities, but do so with patience, and then really listen for what they're interested in, not what facts do they need, or what misinformation do I need to correct, but what are the similarities I have with this person in, in terms of our values? Did I hear they're concerned about all these ingredients and in food I can't pronounce? guess what? They're concerned about nutrition and food safety. I can't imagine what's going on on today's farm. They've probably never been on one. Maybe you could invite them over, right? Mm -hmm. Think about what they mean, what's the underlying value or the underlying concern that you can help them with, not just with facts, but with engaging with them as a human. Roxy, thank you so much. We really appreciate this. And I think this will, will serve our farmers well. Absolutely. It's a pleasure and always a privilege to really get to connect with farmers. So thank you for what you do. We absolutely would not have this system that we have without the dedication and the innovation of America's farmers. 
The food system and consumer demands will always be changing. But if there's one thing that we've learned over the years, it's that our farmers learn to adapt as well to provide the diversity of food that will satisfy every customer. Thanks for joining us for this edition of News Bites that was produced by Seth Moser Katz. We hope you have a great day. And just like Roxy said, let's thank the farmers and all that they do.